Hi everyone, my name is Sofia Huerta and I play professional soccer for the OL Reign and you are listening to Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. everybody and welcome back to circling scale sports on converge media you see it's just me here today um i want to shout out everybody at the paramount this this what next few days up to upcoming week uh as the converge media family is up at the paramount uh you see it's just me as i said uh bell is unable to join us here in person and or virtually so we've got a good amount of stuff to go through like Curtis and I talked about before we went on air here, the Seahawks are at the top of the NFC West, which is not something that I think I'd ever say uh, before the season began. We've got our Mariner season review, our Sounder season review. Kraken season is fully underway, and man, there are some similarities to last year. And unfortunately, the rain season comes to an end in the semifinal round. So uh, we will jump straight into our Seahawks-related news. And Matt, I mean, <laughs> I, I said it before uh before the year started and even in preseason i thought this was a seven win team and now they've got more than half of that uh with four wins hey if you're gonna prove me wrong please do so i'm okay with that uh so we look at the past game here the seahawks beat the la chargers i don't like saying that i like san diego chargers better but i digress uh 37 to 23 so kind of a high high scoring the seahawks offense finds their uh, groove once again really um after a 19 point game that they granted out last week against the cardinals uh offensive player of the game i mean it's really hard to go with anybody outside of kenneth walker the third the guy just continues to impress running the ball including a 74 yard game ceiling touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter is the second longest uh, in the final quarter uh, in franchise history behind Marshawn Lynch back in 2014 uh, Walker tallied 23 carries for 168 yards and two tutters. I, again, I, again, I will be wrong in this business. When you talk about seven teams, especially I'll be wrong eventually, but I mean, the, the way that he has stepped up, in Rashad Penny's absence, you know, you think about how nice of a one-two punch it would be if you had both of those guys. But, you know, from when he was drafted, uh, knowing that he's had that workhorse ability, the incredible season he had at Michigan State, granted where he was taken, I was skeptical at first, but now obviously you see the value and the return that Seattle is getting. Um, just how he's been able to take over that role is is pretty, I mean, it's huge for this offense, right? You know, I know Geno's been relatively efficient. Uh, you know, they found Marquise Goodwin twice in this game. Hopefully DK Mack has okay. We'll get to updates on that in a little bit when we get to injury-related news. But uh, having a balanced game, a truly balanced offense where I can go to Kenneth Walker III and be able to trust him out of the backfield, you know, and then, you know, being efficient with the tight ends this year. You've been able to target the tight ends a lot more than you have when Russell Wilson was here in general. So it's it's pretty great to see a balanced a legitimately balanced offense um that's effective and efficient 
So we go to the defensive players of the game here. And Ryan Neal had another great week. Uh, seven total tackles, six of them solo, four pass deflections, and one interception. Uh, just I know I went with uh, Neal this week uh, to kind of – well, this week, but also last week. Last week I did it to be different as Tariq Woolen had you know recorded his fourth interception in as many games. But Ryan Neal is a guy that in Jamal uh, Adams' absence has stepped up, and he's shown throughout the last few years the kind of player that he can be for this team uh incredible depth that you have at safety and it's it's you know i know earlier in the season after jamal had been injured people were wondering hey how come ryan neal isn't getting playing time and now he is so that's great to see it's just more value to this uh this seahawks defense that earlier in the year really saw some issues and now the last few weeks has has done a better job i know they gave up 23 points to the chargers but the chargers are a good football team they're dealing with some injuries. Uh, J.C. Jackson, their cornerback, had, went out of this game with an injury. I don't know if Justin Herbert's fully healthy. You know, uh, Keenan Allen's not back yet. Mike Williams, I believe, has an injury. I uh, got that notification just a few minutes ago. But regardless, you know, they've got Austin Eckler, who is a monster out of the backfield. Justin Herbert is probably going to be one of the top quarterbacks in this league for a long time. So 23 points you can live with. Uh, especially when your offense almost drops 40. So overall, really happy with this game. We'll look at inactives from this uh, offensive guard. Uh, Gabe Jackson was out, so you lose one of your starting guards. Uh, wide receiver Penny Hart, cornerback Sidney Jones and Artie Burns, and then safety Tease Tabor. So, and then interesting to look at with this inactives group, Jones and Burns, as far as I know, those guys are healthy. So those guys are getting healthy scratched because of Tariq Woolen and because of Kobe Bryant. That's <laughs> you you look at this rookie class once again and you see guys like I mean we just talked about Ken Walker at the height of this, Tariq Woolen, uh Kobe Bryant, Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross, those guys are all contributors. Instant contributors and that's not something you get uh out of more than two people in a draft, let alone five, you know. So Things are going good right now. I don't know how long this will last. You know, I don't know with the 49ers acquiring Christian McCaffrey, how if they'll find a surge, if the Rams will figure things out. I don't put much on the Cardinals. I don't know what's going on with Kyler Murray. Um, maybe it was the fact that Modern Warfare dropped out. And I don't know <laughs> if you've seen the memes, but whenever Call of Duty drops a game for a double XP weekend, Kyler Murray like has not won a game uh <laughs> during a double xp weekend so i'm just being dumb let's go to injuries against the chargers here there's a lot of things that seattle had to deal with injury wise against la um puna ford had to come out of the game in the first quarter with a foot injury he was probable to return though dk metcalf the biggest name amongst those uh injury wise Early x-rays on his knee were negative after he had to leave the game with a knee injury and did not return. Uh, so the early uh, x-rays were negative, which is a good sign. Further testing will need to be done to determine the severity of the injury. It's a patella tendon injury. And we learned earlier this morning that he will not need surgery per head coach Pete Carroll. Carroll said that the team has got a really good report back on DK but his return uh, timeline is still to be determined. So it doesn't seem like it's going to necessarily be a long-term thing, which is obviously a great, uh, great scenario, but just seeing how long he'll be out. 
But it also opens the door up. Someone that I was hoping would step up in his absence was D. Eskridge. D. Eskridge, a guy that was drafted a few years ago, has dealt with injuries, had a big concussion last year, never really came back from it. And this year, I think he's, he's, he had a fumble uh, this year. Pardon me. This past game, he had a fumble, and that was the most notable thing he did. Marquise Goodwin stepped up, a guy that's been a veteran around this league. Uh, Tyler Lockett was still able to play despite not practicing this past week. Um, but, I mean, you know, if DK is going to miss some time, even a week, it's an opportunity for another wide receiver to step up. And I would have liked to and still would like to see D. Eskridge make some impact because they – got him out of college as a guy who make, has speed he's able to be dynamic out of the backfield um if they need him to and we haven't seen any of that really so hoping that he's able to figure some things out there because uh, it sounds like dk will at, at least miss like a week um linebacker slash fullback nick Ballora was ruled out with a concussion as well as offensive guard phil haynes being ruled out with a concussion so not good to see those two there and then to have dk taken out that's it's it's a brutal game, I mean, to to have that all take place. We look over to team-related notes here. On the 19th, it was announced that cornerback Tariq Woolen was named the NFC Defensive Player of the Week for his performance against the Cardinals. Uh, one interception, one fumble recovery, and five tackles for Woolen. Give him the honors. And the, he continues to impress. I know he didn't record one this week, which uh, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but... Again, we go back to that rookie class and how much of an impact that rookie class is having in year one in the early stages of the season, let alone later in the year. So, uh, so obviously, they've still got 10 games to go, but it's it's they're good signs early on. And I know that a lot of us, it was like, hey, if the Seahawks beat Russell Wilson and the Broncos week one, it's a success. you know. And it's very interesting to see the trajectory of both of those teams, how um, – you, know, you never want to see a guy injured, so hoping Russell is able to heal up. But how the Broncos have kind of gone into a free fall and the Seahawks are atop of their division, which, again, if you told me that in the offseason, let alone preseason, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at your face. But, hey, um, on the 22nd, the Seahawks made some roster moves, elevating Bruce Irvin, yes, former Seahawk Bruce Irvin, and Javier uh, well, Javier, sorry, getting used to other names. Xavier Crawford from the practice squad, placing Isaiah Dunn on injured reserve and Joey Blunt as questionable due to an illness. Uh, also on the 22nd, the Seahawks had a scout at the UCLA versus Oregon Ducks football game. Uh, Seattle was one of seven teams with scout at that Pac-12 showdown. In league-related news, on the 18th, we've got more stuff regarding uh, Commander's owner Dan Schneider, Colts owner uh, Jim Ursay sees merit in removing Dan Snyder. The Colts owner said he believes that the NFL potentially has the 24-owner vote threshold to force Dan Snyder to sell the commanders. This comes after last week Snyder said that he's got uh, basically dirt on the other owners in the NFL calling uh, Roger Goodell a mafia boss, which is kind of funny. Uh, there was also some other owner news this past week. Uh, where Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots, and Dallas Cowboys owner uh, Jerry Jones got in some words, and uh, there was some, yeah, there were some insults thrown. So, kind of a weird situation with the owners around the league at this current point in time, especially considering the fact that this is happening during the NFL season, not in the off season. Um, regardless, on the nineteenth, as I already previously mentioned, the Forty ers acquired Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers. The 
49ers acquired the star running back in a blockbuster deal, sending four picks to Carolina, including three in 2023. Uh, the Rams also made a push for the star, which is incredible to see that, you know, despite the fact that their win now sort of attitude, which did get them a ring, um, that it's hindering their success right now, that they're still trying to go all in and get a get McCaffrey, which I don't blame them. But I don't know. Just interesting to see that. And I know that the Rams making that push increased the price of McCaffrey for the 49ers. So I guess thank you for that. Um, On the 23rd, as I also hinted at, Russell Wilson has a partial tear in his hamstring. The Broncos quarterback wanted to play this past Sunday versus the Jets with a partially torn hamstring, but the team decided to hold him out. So interesting things uh, for the Broncos after that trade that they made. I mean, I wonder at this point if they would have liked to keep Drew Locke. I it, it's it's really funny to look at all this stuff and just sort of reflect on that trade in this current point in time because I know they've got him locked up long term. And for Broncos fans, that might be a, oh, insert word here. You know, we've got this guy locked up long term and he's not been at all who we were expecting. Or maybe he turns it around. You know, it is just a few weeks into the, well, a few I'd say it's relatively early in comparison to his contract, but it's it doesn't look good. So regardless, we'll focus on our own team here. Uh, the Seahawks set at a four and three record. They are atop the NFC West here. Um, their next matchup is against the six and one New York Giants on October 30th here at Lumen Field with a 125 p.m. Uh, kickoff. That's going to be a big one. The biggest thing uh, about this game, I think, is if Seattle can stop the running game and primarily Saquon Barkley. I don't know if they've got that ability in them. Granted, the Seahawks defense has been playing better the last few weeks, but that's uh, stopping Saquon Barkley is your number one priority. So we will now switch it over to our Mariners season in review. This might be a long one. So, I mean, at this point, we might just make it its own thing. Um, There's a lot of different things we wanted to go over here and, um, talked about some of potential targets for the Mariners here uh, ahead of free agency, but I think that'll be its own segment we'll do next week, uh, looking at some of the different positions, some of the different players uh, where Seattle might upgrade, look to uh, when free agency comes and if they're deciding to make trades. So we will now head over to our different sort of uh, superlatives, MVP, defensive player, the all that sort of stuff. We look over to MVP here. I, it's, doesn't make any sense to go with anybody outside of Julio Rodriguez, uh, a guy that at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were just excited to see him make the main, the the big league roster. Some thought he might not be ready yet. You know, in a month in, he didn't even necessarily look ready, but he then really started to adjust. Julio leads the team in war, wins above replacement, was just the spark plug for this team in center field. And it's just as advertised. If you've paid attention at all to the Mariners farm system, to the minor leagues at all, Julio Rodriguez making his ascent was something that was noticed by many. Uh, He never played in triple a, which is kind of incredible to think about. And he's 21 years old. Again, I will bring that up again. He and I share the same age. Um, it's really interesting to note the comments from the front office members, Jerry DePoto, Justin Hollander, Scott Service, that basically their plans for Julio, their like wants, like his homework for the offseason is to just take a rest because he's never played this much baseball in his life in a year. Uh, it can be a lot as a 21-year-old to have all this attention that he's got going on, and they just kind of want him to sit back and be himself. And 
you know, go go visit home, go be a 21 year old, which I don't think is bad advice for the young guy. I mean, he's yes, he's six five to something slams homers, has all the ability and potential in the world, has this massive contract. But he, again, he is 21. He'll, he'll continue to grow. I'm sure of that I'm sure he'll get back in the back in the cage, back to work at some point this offseason. But yeah, I think Julio needs a little bit of a rest. So we go from our MVP pick to pitcher of the year. I went with George Kirby. Now, this might not be the most conventional pick for some. If we go through the rotation, I know that Luis Castillo was an exciting addition. He signed an extension. Uh, we really cons- we really saw what he could do. Uh, a prime example of that is the wild card matchup uh, game one versus the Blue Jays, where he went seven and a third inning uh, shutout against a really talented Blue Jays lineup. Uh, but he was acquired at the trade deadline, so I don't think that qualifies. Robbie Ray ate up a bunch of innings, and I believe led the pitchers in war. Uh, he had his down moments, though, and there's things that you'd like him to improve upon. Uh, Logan Gilbert easily could have been this guy uh, in this position, had a really hot start, had some struggling months uh, for a little bit, was able to come back and turn some things around. Uh, in the game that the Mariners clinched their postseason berth, he gave them eight uh, one-run innings. Um, but Kirby was a guy that, similar to Julio, uh, Julio, George Kirby could have been in rookie of the year running. Um, but Kirby uh, never playing in Triple A, um, and well, never playing. I think he might have played very little, if any. Um, came in, play, pitched the most innings he's ever pitched in a year. I know at the trade deadline. Uh, the Mariners said, we're going to monitor his innings. But then he came back, and after like a week or two, he got back to his normal workload. He, As you can see in this photo here from the ALDS Game 3, he pitched an incredible shutout uh, through, I believe, seven innings uh, for the Mariners. I mean, for a 24-year-old rookie to do that in the, AL, the biggest game uh, in this franchise in you know, a few decades, it's big. And the thing with Kirby is he can continue to just go up. So... That's my pick. This is a guy that you are looking at that could be a potential Cy Young winner in years to come. So that's where I went with Kirby. If we look at reliever of the year here, I think Andres Munoz ran away with it. Was uh, There are some other solid picks you could make here. Uh, Matt Brash was really solid out of the pen. Paul Seawald had another solid year. He had some moments. Uh, whenever Paul Seawald's having a downtime, he's given up homers, which is an ideal Diego Castillo had a solid stretch, but outside of that, kind of struggled. Penn Murphy had a really good year. Um, but Andres Munoz really came out and lit it up. The 23-year-old, yes, 23, uh, is an incredible topping out at 103 miles an hour. That slider was really valuable and was voted as the best slider in all of baseball. Uh, he just continues to light it up, and he's going to be an exciting guy out of the pen I hope they keep the Los Bomberos introduction for him uh, at minimum. I don't know if they'll keep that nickname uh, nickname next year uh, for the entirety of the bullpen, but Munoz is incredible out of the pen and just great that um, you were able to, uh, I believe, extend him a little bit last year and really see what he was able to do this year. So um, this next one's kind of tough because we go rookie of the year. It makes uh, no sense to go even... There we go. Makes no sense to really go further into it, but it's obviously Julio. Uh, again, to have someone like Julio be your uh, all-star here, 
uh, well, one of your two all-stars to be an all-star, to be your most valuable player in terms of war and in general uh, is a big, big deal. And, you know, to have someone be so recognized like Julio, you know, with how many games I was at this past season, I saw more 44 jerseys than I did anything else. You know, usually that's Griffey jerseys, um, Ichiro's, there's some Edgar's mixed in there. Um, but no, this it's there's so many Julio's. I know that the team store had to continue to order Julio's because they were trying to keep up with the demand. Uh, just incredible, just really incredible to see the, the impact that Julio had in his first professional year of baseball. Um, and knowing that he can only go up, he should win rookie of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty blown away by the, the year that Julio had, and it's only going to go up from here, really. Uh, we look at defensive play of the year. This was kind of a tough one because it's very ba- vague. I know that there's like three levels to baseball from the battery of the catcher and the pitcher to the infield to the outfield. But with Cal being the only Mariners player nominated for a gold glove as a finalist, and Ty France should have been in there too, and Julio probably too. Um, but with him, with Cal being the only one nominated, I had to go with Cal. Um, was the had the most uh, pickoff attempt? Well, pickoff a runners caught stealing uh, in the American League, second in all of baseball, and was the uh, I believe what was the stat here? Let me get that stat. Was one of the most valuable players, um, third most valuable defensive catcher in the majors with a mark of fourteen runs saved. Cal was a guy that struggled early on too. He came up this year and, you know, was looked at as kind of the, the guy behind Tom Murphy after Tom Murphy had a good beginning of the year. Uh, then it kind of fell on Cal. Cal struggled, had to go back to AAA, and then was able to come back and had a great rest of the season. Obviously had that incredible memory of hitting the walk-off that sent this team to the playoffs, but was more than just a homer guy, as you can see, the defensive uh, value that he brought to this team. We now look over to Utility Player of the Year, and the Mariners have a few of these, and Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty. Uh, there's a couple of guys that could have fallen into this role as well, Abraham Toro. But Sam Haggerty was the one who made the most impact this year. Dylan Moore had his moments, but you know, Sam Haggerty had a really great, solid overall year. Was great in the outfield when they needed him to be. I believe he played some second base as well. His offense was valuable when we needed it. Um, and it really sucks not being able to have him for the playoffs. So really intriguing to see what sort of value Haggerty can add next year. Uh, I'm, I don't think he'll grab a starting role from anybody. I know that people have hoped that he would take the left field spot from uh, Jesse Winker, um, but I, I, I think he starts on the bench, and he's just going to be able to be one of those guys that continues to contribute uh, throughout the year, just like the Mariners like. The Mariners like having these versatile guys that can add off the bench and that can do a ton of things for them um, outside of just one primary position. That's why you see guys you know, like Adam Frazier who can play second base and can play the outfield, played some shortstop this year. Ty France plays the corner infield. Um, you know, there are a bunch of guys that they like that they'll bring in that can do multiple things, um, like Dylan Moore, like Abraham Toro. So 
We look over. I know I just mentioned Jesse Winker, but we'll go to our bounce back candidate for next year. Um, oopsie, wrong one. Bounce back candidate for next year and Jesse Winker. I know that he had a tough year. There was a lot of ire from him on his defense where there were some balls that you would think be would be an easy out. And it just looks like he did not care to make an effort to get there. His uh, production was down after a, a career year this past season. Um, but you know, with the comments that Jerry DePoto made about how he was dealing with a neck injury uh, as the end of the season and a knee injury throughout the entirety of the year, obviously I'm sure stuff like that's going to impact his offensive performance when you really can use your legs to generate a lot of power in baseball. Um, you know, playing in Seattle with the Marine layer here, um, I know that, you know, some of these balls that he would hit in a different ballpark didn't carry as much as they would um, if he was in a different spot. But with with that all being taken into account, hopefully getting healthy this offseason um, and then the shift being banned, it only makes sense that Winker uh, will have a bounce back sort of year. I'm not going to say like an MVP type season, but something that the Mariners can really get some more actual offensive and hopefully defensive value out of. Um, this upcoming year. So that's our bounce back candidate. We look over here to our uh, games of the year in the regular season and postseason. It wouldn't make sense to just pick one game of the year, you know, considering the postseason as well. Um, if we look at game of the year in the regular season, that series finale game three versus the Atlanta Braves, you come out and you're leading Atlanta. I believe it was like six to three throughout most of the game. Uh, you think, all right, you're really you're going to take the series against the defending champs, which still, I know a lot of uh, championship winning teams lose a bunch of their best players, and they might have like a, a championship hangover. Atlanta was able to make the playoffs, and we're still a great team throughout the year, and you were dominating them in the series finale that would have won it for you, and then uh, you start to give up runs in the eighth inning, and then in the ninth inning you blow the lead, and you're like, ah, crap, you know, everything kind of just went downhill. Julio Rodriguez, as you can see pictured, hits a home run to tie it up in the bottom of the ninth. And then Eugenio Suarez hits a walk-off to give the Mariners the win in dramatic fashion in that one. That was a game where, as the innings went on, um, there was an Atlanta fan near the press box that got really, really, uh, I'll use the word obnoxious. And it was like, oh, man, I got to go back and write an article about this game. And But they were able to come back, and it was like, what just happened? Um Kind of in a similar vein, our game of the year for the playoffs, the AL wildcard uh, game two, that seven-run comeback that will go down in history. Toronto teams continue to choke. Uh, this was a big one. I mean, this sends you to the ALDS for the first time in two decades, and you win the first playoff series. It wasn't like you made the playoffs for the first time in your drought, um, and then you just, you're just you a one and done. You know, the Mariners were able to get in. Uh, they took care of business in game one and then closed the series out in game two with this dramatic comeback. Um, as you can see here, we have a photo from the watch party. Um, so that was, again, if you've got differing opinions, uh, please feel free to let me know. But these are just what, you know, in terms of with, with the Atlanta game, it really showed me what this team's capable of in terms of its resiliency. You know, we look at how this team was down by 10 games uh, a few times, I believe uh, under 500 throughout the year, uh, had some injuries that throughout the year that hindered them. Julio was out for periods of time. Eugenio Suarez was out for periods of time. Mitch Hanniger missed a lot of the season. 
Uh, Ty France missed some time. You know, JP missed a little bit of time. So it's like you miss a lot of your key contributing position players to injury and you were still able to win 90 games and make the playoffs and win a series in the playoffs. So all of that should be taken into account um, when looking back at this season. We look over here now to best newcomer. Uh, You could include Julio in this because it's technically his first year with the big league club, but uh, Eugenio Suarez, we were here recording an episode of the show when we got the news that Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker had been traded to the Mariners uh, during spring training, uh, had to break that news live. Um, and at the, at the time, it seemed like Gino was just sort of a three-outcome guy who had played poor defense and was kind of, uh, we had to eat his contract. And he was more valuable than Winker by far. Uh, I believe he's up there in terms of war in the top five. He had 30 homers this year. He had several, I think he had five defensive runs saved, which is way up from his last five years. It was just incredible. It was a great clubhouse guy. Uh, so he, Gino was all you could have asked for and much more. Um, so that's why he gets the nod there. We look at areas to improve. I mean, you got to get more. I, I know we've got a photo of Gino here. It's more so because he's got the bat split, but you need to be more consistent on the offensive end of things. Too many times, you know, we look at certain games like uh, you beat the Astros 11 to nothing in the first game you played them here at home. And then you'll play the next game and you'll get shut out and have like two hits. You know, that you got to be able to, in free agency or be a trade, be able to add a guy that's going to be able to help you stay in ball games throughout the year because there's, you know, I'm not going to say someone's going to have a 162 game hit streak but someone that's going to be more reliable, uh, another just proven bat uh, in this offseason. So looking in that vein, we look at potential departures. These are potential. I don't want anybody to get too mad about it. I'm not saying they're gone. I'm not saying they're off. You know, they've been shipped off already. We look at the two pictured. I mean, there could be more. We're going to look at this more in depth next week. But with the fact that we've got this entire manor season in review and then the Sounders season in review, I didn't want to just, you know, pile on and pile on and pile on. Um, Mitch Hanniger's contract is up. Uh, I mean, we could look at it from both aspects, from the Mariners' side of things to the to Mitch's side of things. Mitch has said he wants to be here. Um, he's provided great offense to this team. He's in this two really f- fullest years while being healthy. He's been an MVP candidate for the Mariners. Um, on the other side of things, you know, He's how often is he like I said, when he's been healthy, you know, and that hasn't been enough for this team necessarily, you know, again, with availability, how often can I rely on you to come through? How often can I rely on you to be in the lineup? You know, uh, another side of things is for Mitch, maybe he wants to check out the free agent waters. Maybe he gets a better offer somewhere uh, where they can guarantee him playing time. Uh, they can guarantee him a bunch of money, but it sounds like, uh, with Justin Hollander, general manager Justin Hollander, that there will be talks, there will be discussions, and they plan on bringing him back, um, which will be an interesting thing for our potential targets list. But then we go over to Adam Frazier. Frazier is an interesting case uh, because it doesn't, it isn't really known known how he feels about being here. You know, last year he was an all-star, had the most hits in baseball for a good amount of the year. Um, this year had some stretches. But 
his bat really couldn't stay consistent, like a good amount of the offense throughout the majority of the year. And the comments from Jerry Depoto that the team is looking to get one of these four coveted shortstops in free agency and move them to second base doesn't really hinder well for Adam unless they plan on having him on the bench or really being a super utility sort of guy, which I don't know if he wants to do that. So that's why those two guys are highlighted here in our potential departures list. We will have more of an in-depth look at these things uh, next week when we look at uh, free agency and all that sort of thing. So that brings us to potential targets. Now, these might be long shots, you know, but the Mariners have said they want to be competitive. The general vibe around the league is that they've been putting the other teams on notice. Um, they've said that they want to spend in the offseason with the addition, with the um, extension to Julio Rodriguez. Uh, at least Luis Castillo's agent said this team is serious and they want to win. So maybe that attracts a guy like Aaron Judge. I know that. There were a lot of things throughout the end of the season and even the playoffs where he was, you know, kissing the Yankees logo and people were like, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. What if he gets a better offer somewhere else? You know, if he isn't a Mariner, I hope it's not in the American League, but maybe you get Aaron Judge and you really solidify yourself as a World Series contender. Xander Bogarts uh, hasn't been happy. Well, Xander, pardon me. I said Xander. That's not right. Uh, Xander Bogarts is a guy that hasn't been happy with the money that Boston has been offering him. Maybe, hey, you're able to get him to come here to Seattle uh, to shift to short uh, to second base. And that would really be another great addition to this offense. I mean, a lot of the shortstops in free agency, whether it's Correa, which I don't think he'd come to Seattle, Correa, Bogarts, Trey Turner. Um, I feel like there's something I'm missing here. But out of the, the, there's four of them. I'm remembering three. But if you're able to get one of those guys and they're able to move, that really solidifies your middle infield and that helps you um, get another really solid bat in the lineup. But that's, again, if people want to come here and if the front office is really serious about spending this money. So, we'll, we'll again, we'll go into this more next week uh, with our free agency previews. Um, and then, so just a general prediction for the 2023 season, I really do think this Mariners club can make the ALCS. I don't, I don't want to guarantee you a world series appearance. That would be a lot. Um, and I don't want to have to look on that like a cold take exposed. Um, but with the potential that this team showed about the you know younger guys, the younger potential, the core here that's already locked up, this team can do damage. And you could argue that they were the second best team in the entirety of the playoffs. You know, well, not the entirety of the playoffs, my bad. The entirety of the American League. You look at how the Yankees got shelled in their uh, ALCS against the Astros. The Mariners put up much more of a fight against this Houston team. And I think a lot of Houston fans can agree with that, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I, again, I feel like if you, depending on what you add, you can do a lot of damage. But that, that's the first thing is seeing what you're able to do in free agency here. So we'll keep a big eye on that. Um, I know that kind of goes to rest here, and it's, it's, it's sad and it's disappointing because um, you, you, you thought you could be in it. But this Mariners team did a lot of great things. Uh, I was thinking about this a lot before I came down here, and even last night. Last night I felt burnt out. I was like, man, I, I'm doing a lot. I'm doing too much. Um, with the range playoff loss to Kansas city. But this morning I woke up and I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, life is life. 
let alone sports, is about moments and, you know, cherishing certain moments. And, you know, a lot of it is how you respond or react to those moments. How will the Mariners react to this incredible uh, past year that they had? You know, if they're able to load up and add more, then we might see this team in the World Series. If they stay stagnant and they're not able to do enough, I don't know what they do, you know. So in that same vein, you know, you got to think about this Mariners team. You think about the moments like the Atlanta series, you know, like the 14-game win streak, the home run derby with Julio Rodriguez, uh, the incredible Cal Raleigh walk-off homer that sends his team to the playoffs. I will remember that for the entirety of my life. You know, I will remember that game and how loud that crowd got and the emotions of it. There was a guy running around in the stands with his shirt off, people just giving random strangers high fives and hugging each other. Uh, life is about moments. And these moments are what makes sports so great. You know, it's why we do these things, you know. So although it didn't end, you know, Mitch Hanniger talked about it, the goal is to win the World Series. This is a great first step. And whenever that does come where you see, I don't know who it'll be, Cal Raleigh or probably Julio Rodriguez holding up the World Series trophy in front of these Mariner fans, you'll remember moments like the drought ending because that's where it all started, you know. So, yeah. Uh, We have some minor team news, I guess. Not technically minor, but on the 20th of October, as I kind of previously mentioned, uh, catcher Cal Raleigh was named a finalist for the Gold Glove Award at his position in the American League. Raleigh led American League catchers with 25 caught stealing this season, second in all of baseball, ranking ahead of Tucker Barnhart, Christian Vasquez, and Sean Murphy in the American League, while trailing only JT Realmuto with 30 for the MLB lead. Cal also ranked third uh, amongst AL catchers, fourth in the MLB, with nine catcher framing runs saved, according to Baseball Savant, ranking ahead of only Jose Trevino and Jonah Heim in the American League. According to Fangraphs, offensive runs saved, Metric, Raleigh was the third most valuable defensive catcher in the majors with a mark of 14 runs saved, ranking only behind Jose Trevino and Adley Rutschman. The 6'3", 235-pound backstop allowed only three pass balls in 917 innings behind the plate, tied for the second fewest in the American League among catchers with at least 900 innings defensively. That doesn't make you appreciate Cal Raleigh. I don't know what will. Excuse me. We look over to some league-related notes here. On the 21st, Lance McCullers Jr. was hurt by champagne. The Astros' right-handed pitcher had a start pushed back after getting hit on the elbow by a spare champagne bottle, celebrating Houston's ALDS victory. Um, Also on the 21st, the Rangers hired former Giants manager Bruce Bochy to become their new manager. The former Giants manager who won three World Series titles with the ball, uh, ball club, uh, in San Francisco, is hired as Texas's new manager. That worries me a little bit. I would not like to see Texas return to prowess. Um, the baseball ratings are rising. MLB posted its most watched division series in five years with viewers aged 18 to 34 up 22%, which is pretty good to see. I talked to uh, somebody about this before we started recording, but if you really want to watch baseball grow, if you want people to watch your product, you want people to watch your game, you got to make these games more accessible. So that's a good sign, but baseball can do more. So, and you haven't seen it already. 
The World Series matchup is set. It will be the Philadelphia Phillies versus the Houston Astros. I don't really need to say it. Uh, it should be obvious, but obviously we're all rooting for the Phillies to be Houston. That's all you need to know. Game one is on Friday. So uh, I would say we look ahead. But now, uh, in in summary, the Mariners' season ends uh, with a 90-win, 72 record in the regular season. They sweep the Blue Jays in the wild card. They get swept by Houston in the ALDS. Um, sorry about that. In in uh, in the grand scheme of things, this playoffs logo right here was what mattered the most. So uh, we look ahead next week to free agency, potential departures, stuff like that. So it's the season may be over, but things don't end for us in our coverage for the Mariners. So we look over now to a small piece of storm-related news. Um, team CEO and president Alicia Valvanis was named to the Puget Sound Business Journal Power 100 for the fourth year in a row, which is very cool to see. Um, I just wanted to touch on this. I know this might not be to some a non-story, but just considering the, I mean, for the fourth year in a row and someone that's your CEO and your team president, I think that's important to note to know that you have individuals such as Valvanis in your front office that are just going to make this franchise better and that continue to make this franchise a world-class organization that people want to be a part of, you know, that's, that's something that I know it's more front office and maybe off the court, but that sort of thing can impact the on the court because it might attract people to be here and attract better coaching, uh, better people in the building, better front office, and then obviously better players. So, that's why I wanted to touch on that. Um, if you're like, why are we talking about the Puget Sound Business Journal? So in summary, congratulations to uh, Ms. Valavanis uh, for that uh, award. We look over now to our Sounders season and review, and we'll similar, uh, similar blueprint to what we did with our Mariners here. We've got our list um, of sort of superlatives. We look at season in review um, MVP. I went with Nico Ladero. I know that the Sounders official, um, excuse me, the Sounders official, you know, their website and the team went with Stefan Fry. But, you know, with with Ladero in the midfield, obviously the loss of Jao Paulo to injury in the CCL final is big. Um, Nico was still able to, after, I mean, relatively disappointing, uh, several disappointing showings throughout the year, Nico was able to lead the team in in points in general with uh, goals plus assists added up. So, I mean, that's impressive to note, just knowing that there were a lot of performances for him that weren't really that good. You know, there were a lot of times where I was wondering what the uh, what was going on in the midfield, what the direction was, who's going to really step up and take form there. There were a lot of shift around lineups, a lot of times with different folks in and out of the midfield, but... Uh, for Nico to lead in points, I feel like it's still a big deal. So that's why I wanted to give him that value. Um, so again, I know there's a lot of disappointment around the Sounders season, um, but I think I think Nico helped a good amount in here. I know that there are some that have called for him to be removed from the team or see him as a potential departure. I doubt that, but hey, we'll see. It's a big off season. Um, we look at Defender of the Year. I did this in my article of the Sounders season in review. I went with Jackson Reagan. Now, I went with Jackson Reagan for a couple reasons, 
but mainly, you know, his youth and the value that he brought as a center back um, is huge for this team. Obviously, it you know, with the size, he kind of reminds you of a Chad Marshall almost. Um, I know that some have seen him as someone that needs to be loaned out. I'm sure that so they need to, he needs to get some more experience. But I think that and, and the Sounders officially went with Yamar for this award. But with the the age and the value that Reagan brought, um, I know that he didn't start a ton, but that's where I went with that is sort of the age and the potential of this, what we might see from Reagan going forward. Um, as one of these center backs and how valuable he could be next year, let alone as the years go on. So that's where I went went with that. If you went with Yamar, I don't blame you. He would probably be my alternate option here. But I went with Jackson Reagan mostly for the youth and the potential. That's where I was going there with that. Uh, We look at newcomer of the year, and it's hard to really pick anybody outside of Albert Rusnak. I know that there was criticism of him uh, throughout the year. People expected more uh, just in general uh, in terms of scoring or other things uh, on the pitch. Some just saw he was taking up space. But if you look at some of the underlying sets, some of the stuff that maybe the casual fan wouldn't notice, um, he was pretty valuable um, to this club. And I think a, a tough amount of it was that he was playing out of position uh, for the Sounders um, with the injury to Jao Paulo. So I, I think if you look at it, that loss to Jao Paulo really kind of messed things up for Seattle. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that with, uh, with Joe Paulo back next year to be able to have a consistent midfield to be able to rotate those guys and have them play in their real positions would be very valuable to this team and why we could see such a big resurgence next year, perhaps a bounce back sort of year for Rusnak um, and for this club. So it's hard to go with anybody else in term in the newcomer department outside of Albert. Um, I mean, you could go, I know that, I mean, no, yeah, it's there's just not many there. It's mostly returning uh, 11 from the year before, which is a good thing in many ways, but also tough. So went with, with Rusnak there. So the highlights of it, uh, of this past season, it's hard to dis- for anything else to be number one outside of CCL. Um, It's tough to look at this game and, and, and you know, fully kind of grasp it, I'm sure, for a lot of people because of the fact that there was the disappointment in the MLS regular season and you weren't able to do much at all after you had won CCL because there was talk of the CCL hangover. And then even a, a few months after that, you were still disappointing. So it's like, is this hangover still happening or did you just never find your footing Uh, in general, in MLS regular season, even before uh, they had won CCL. You know, I know they were dealing with it in the early stages of the MLS regular season. They were going through the tournament still, but you you never really found it. Never really found it. Um, But some of the highlights, regardless, uh, the two-to-one win here in Seattle over Charlotte. Charlotte was uh, still relatively new in their inaugural season, coming off of a pretty solid stretch. Uh, They take the first goal. And then Seattle's able to answer back with two in the late stages of the match, including an absolute rocket from Raul Roy Diaz. 
And then the late season win over Austin, I could have gone with a few other things, the four to nothing thrashing over Vancouver, uh, you know, but I went with this win over Austin late because Austin, one of the top teams in all of the league, I think they're still in the playoffs. I'll check that while we're going through this, but Austin's a team that, you know, again, top in the West, some of the top, one of the top teams in the West, you're kind of hanging on by a thread at this point in time when this game happens. Um, yes, the, Austin is in the conference finals. They'll play LA, uh, LAFC. Wow. Jeez. Um, but point being, yeah. So you play one of the, the conference final contenders and you beat them late in the season to keep your tiny thread of hope alive for the playoffs. Um, in, in thrashing fashion too, I believe this game was three to nothing. So I think Raul Ruiz Diaz had a brace. Uh, this was a big game. So that's, that's there's your highlights. It was a tough year, but the, in any season, there's going to be highlights to it. Uh, biggest sort of regret. I know you can't really control this as much, but losing Jao Paulo was huge. Um, so it's uh, tough to look at the season and not think that Jao Paulo didn't have this really negative impact because of the injury that happened. I mean, it's not his fault. You know, I know that comes out weird, but it's not his fault. But, you know, with having to have Rusnak play out of position, you lose the value that he brings on set pieces. Seattle was horrible on set pieces this year. Um, weren't really able to build out of the midfield relatively at all. You know, um, it just, it's, you know, you look at the meaning of MVP, those three letters, most valuable player. Um, I thought that Jao Paulo should have won it last year. And I think this year only proves that, you know, you see how much value he brings to the team, how he holds his team together, how he's able to orchestrate um, and be the conductor. And you lost that. So uh, if, if Jao Paulo is able to stay healthy through the year, who knows? Who knows what we're talking about? Maybe Seattle is still here. Maybe we're talking about them in the conference finals. I don't know. So, yeah, we won't know. Um, so we look at areas to improve here. Uh, you might need a new finisher. Um, not new as in get rid of Raul Diaz. Raul is Raul. You're not going to get rid of him. But you need someone else to add in and uh, contribute there. Jordan Morris had a, an okay year, but he really wasn't able to finish as much as you'd like and didn't record as many of the stats you would have liked. Um, Christian Roldan was playing like an MVP throughout a good amount of the year. He's more of a midfielder, though, and not really like a finisher attacker. I put Leo Shu in here because maybe, you know, this offseason he's really able to develop and become that guy. He was someone that uh, had a lot of positives and negatives throughout this year. Um, Brian Schmetzer reflected on that, and they want to see what they're going to do with him. But, you know, he's still a young talent, young, fast, good pace talent. Um Maybe it's from within, you know, Sam Adenir and went on, on loan this year, um, had a great year done in t- with the, the Toma defiance, but Seattle wanted to get him more of a challenge. So they sent him over to USL. Um, may, again, maybe it's from within, or maybe you do find a way to bring someone else in uh, to help score goals for this club. Uh, potential departures. This one's a little bit tough because the contract situations for a lot of the MLS are harder to find than, you know, putting it into MLB and like looking at spot track and finding the Mariners contracts and seeing who's up when. 
you know. Um, but with Nuhu here, Nuhu is someone that's been talked about as a potential transfer target already, um, primarily after he helped lock down Mo Salah uh, in a World Cup qualifier. Uh, there was talk of him being sold after the world uh, after the season ends or after the World Cup. So maybe that's what happens. You know, maybe that takes place. That's kind of the idea. But if there's a potential departure, there's a most likely that we're looking at, it's going to be new who we look over to. Well, and then here's, here's this big question is a lot of the fan bases brought up is big change needed. No, I really don't think so. I think you need to really recenter yourself and take this off season to get back to basics of sorts, get JP back, get guys healthy, um, but this is a team that can accomplish a lot, and we we know that. You know, we've, it's mostly the same eleven. So I think getting that back and really being able to reassert yourself as the juggernaut that the MLS hates is n- not that far within reach. And don't think you need to make major changes because of it uh, to get that. So um, we look at the 2000 season, 2023 season prediction. I believe you can make another deep playoff run this upcoming year. I'm not going to guarantee a title. I don't want to say that, but um, I really think that you recenter yourself, you get everybody back, um, you play a, a good amount of the season, get people healthy for playoffs, um, secure a playoff berth first, but get people healthy for playoffs, I think you can do damage again because it's been a few years since you were able to do that. You know, you look at the 2020 season, um, 2020 is weird, but the last time you were in MLS Cup, you played Columbus, and that was just embarrassing. You wondered what was going on. Um, a few years ago, you look at the that season. Um, uh, yeah, last season, not this past one, but the one before that, and Seattle gets knocked out in, in round one to Real Salt Lake. This past year, you won CCL, but at what cost? You know, So I, I really do think that Seattle can get back to it. Playoffs-wise, minimum, yes, I think they're making the playoffs. Uh, deep playoff run, I think, is in the cards, but I can't guarantee you a title. So uh, we look over at team-related notes. On the 19th, as I mentioned, the Sounders released their official team awards. Uh, their picks, MVP and Humanitarian of the Year, goes to Stefan Fry. Defender of the Year goes to Yamar and Golden Boot for the most goals scored goes to Raul Ruiz Diaz. So congratulations to those three. Uh, we look at the Sounders' final record sitting at 12 wins, 17 losses, and 5 draws, sitting at 11th in the Western Conference at 41 points. Uh, this is a big offseason. I don't think you need to make a ton of changes, as I said, but adding a piece here and there could really be the difference for this team from just making the playoffs to potentially winning it all. So we will now look over to our Kraken here. Who played four games over the stretch of the past week, and I mean, there's there's some good things in here, and there's some bad things. I guess we'll start with the bad in the uh, October seventeenth Monday matchup versus the Carolina Hurricanes, a five to one loss. A, hard to take a lot from a five to one loss. Player of the game for it, Andre Burakovsky. Burakovsky, one goal, one point, one shot, two hits, and one takeaway. We move over here to the final game of the three-game homestand, the opening homestand of the regular season, October 19th versus the St. Louis Blues. An unfortunate three to four, uh, four to three loss in overtime. So Seattle was able to come back after being down by two goals after the first period, tie things up, send it to overtime. But then you make another bad turnover in your own D zone and give up that goal in overtime. 
Uh, we have two players of the game for this one. Uh, forward Alex Wenberg recording two assists, two points, a two plus minus, one shot, and one takeaway. Played the game number two, Oliver Bjorkstrand, uh, another Swedish player. He records a nearly similar identical stat line, two assists, two points, a two plus minus, and two hits on the night. Uh, the team then heads on the road for a two-game trip before returning home to Climate Pledge Arena October 21st at the Colorado Avalanche, the defending champion Colorado Av- Avalanche that still have a ton of talent. Seattle wins that game 3-2. Uh, played the game for Jared McCann, one goal, one assist, two points, five shots for Canner on the night in an upset of one of the best teams in the league um, coming off of a three-game losing streak. You head into Chicago. The Blackhawks are a team that are expected to tank throughout the year. And on October 23rd, on a Sunday morning game, you lose to them 5-4. to 5-4 to four in regulation, nine goals between the two. I got a notification from Fox Sports. Their prediction for the match was that this would be a low-scoring game. Uh, played the game for Jared McCann. One goal, one assist, two points, four shots. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. This was a game that Seattle had... They didn't really have it in the bag, but you you know, you know, look at it, if you play smart defensively, if you have a decent, uh, competent defensive showing in this one, you win this game pretty easily. Um, it's, it's the same trend throughout most of this year. Seattle's offense is doing good, but their defense is just so much of a hindrance that it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, yeah, really tough to see that sort of loss. But at this point, you've got to take uh, today, take the day off, and then come back tomorrow and play Buffalo. So we look at player of the week here. I went with Jared McCann. Canner, two goals, three assists, five points on nine total shots. Uh, That's a great, pretty solid week for Jared, who's got three goals to begin the year so far. Um, At this pace, he could break his record from last year. Um. But yeah, again, the it's it's the offense. The offense continues to struggle, um, while the defense. Well, no, pardon me. The defense continues to struggle while the offense is pulling their own weight, which is odd to hear for this Kraken team. Uh, we have some injury and roster related news in that win over Colorado. Unfortunately, Philip Grubauer left the game with a lower body injury and is considered day to day, but was not placed on injured reserve. Uh, so interested to see how long that time li- timeline is for Grubauer. On the 22nd, forward Yanni Gord was removed from the team's NHL roster due to personal reasons, but is expected to join the team tomorrow uh, for their game against Buffalo, which is interesting because Yanni just left the roster and nobody really knew why. They didn't know if it maybe was COVID or an injury, but... It was listed as personal reasons and hoping that nothing too serious is going on and that Yanni is able to join the team tomorrow. So uh, in other team-related news, on the 19th, uh, Alex Wenberg recorded his 200th career NHL assist in the game against the Blues, so congratulations to Wenberg there. Uh, We'll get some other kind of non-important stuff out of the way before we show you the reverse retro jerseys for the Kraken that they'll be wearing and get your thoughts on those. On the 20th, the team placed defenseman Michael Kempney on unconditional waivers. The next day, he would clear waivers and his contract would be terminated. And then on the 20th as well, the team recalled goaltender Joey Decord from the Cachola Valley Firebirds in response to the Grubauer news. So 
we got that all the way. Now we'll get to the images of the reverse retro jersey that's being released. Um, it does pay homage to the PCHL Seattle Ironmen. We'll put a photo of that on the screen first, the PCHL Seattle Ironmen, so you can get an idea of the uh, inspiration for these jerseys. Uh, you note the stars. I wish that they had kept the stars in their design, but I digress. I am not the one designing these things. I don't get paid for that. Um, here are the official colors. Uh, I think it's solid. Uh, some people would have liked to see the colors flipped on this. Uh, I think the block letters are a nice touch. Um, I won't be rushing to go and buy one, but it's it's solid. You know, maybe I get my discount on it, so maybe I will. But it's uh, this is the official Kraken retro, reverse retro jersey. The Kraken still have a alternate jersey to be released, and at some point they will play an outdoor game and they will have their outdoor jerseys. Um, so. I don't know. Let me know what you think about it. I think it's okay. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. That's. I think it's okay. So um, we look at some league-related news here. On the 19th, the NHL released its DEI report uh, results. The findings of the league's in- inaugural diversity and inclusion report share that just over 83% of its employees are white. We look at the team's record and standings as we finish up our Kraken segment here. Seattle has a two-win, three-loss, two-overtime loss record. Uh, that is good for third in the Pacific Division uh, with six points. The upcoming schedule for Seattle is uh, October 25th versus the Saint. Uh, pardon me, the Buffalo Sabers at seven o'clock PST. Uh, October 27th versus the Vancouver Canucks at 7 PST. And then October 29th versus the Pittsburgh Penguins at 7 o'clock PST. So tough little uh, homestand here against some good teams. Uh, Buffalo's got talent. Vancouver's coming in struggling um, in their early season. Fans were throwing their jerseys on the ice. Uh, I feel like that could be a trap game as you try to... Continue your spot at third in the Pacific Division. I don't know how long that'll last, but you've got that, and then you've got the uh, Penguins game, which Pittsburgh's been on a Pittsburgh's been a historically good team, and I expect them to bring a good fight to this team. I believe the last time the two teams played here in Seattle was a six-goal thrashing uh, of our Kraken, so hopefully not going to repeat that um, this upcoming game. Please give me one second. Forgot the wrong hat. Uh, Just a rain segment, and then we're done. All right. Sorry about that. Didn't have my rain hat for this upcoming segment. Oh, I was all happy there. It's a not happy segment. So, again, sorry about that. Uh, we head over to our rain segment to look at the playoff semifinal match between the rain and the Kansas City Current, a two to nothing loss. So, the rain segment, the rain season ends in the semifinal round. Uh, it's a shutout, so there's no player of the game here. This was a, just a really tough match. You know, I talked about moments at the Mariners segment, I talked about being burnt out last night. It's tough, you know, when your your baseball team loses in the playoffs in the ALDS when they probably could have gone farther. The Storm don't reach the title in Supers last year. The Sounders miss the playoffs. The Seawolves lose the title game. The, what did I say? I feel like I said Seahawks. The Seawolves, pardon me, the rugby team lose uh, in the MLR title. 
it's tough. It's been tough. It's great to have gotten there, but it's tough. You know, and with this group, this is a special group uh, that won the shield this year. I've got my uh, rain shield shirt on that I bought yesterday, but it kind of feels like a moot point um, with the, with the loss here, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it's really tough and disappointing. Early on, the rain looked a little bit shaky. Uh, it looked like there was some nerves there, just getting passes off. That early goal seemed like one that maybe, first of all, should have been cleared from the box. And then secondly, uh, looked like it could have been a potentially good save for Fallon. Uh, but it's one goal. This team can come back. They've shown that they can come back before. As the first half continued on, it really seemed like Seattle, the Seattle. Eh, technically Seattle. The Rain were knocking on the door for a goal. Jeff Fishlock had some great hits. Uh, but AD Franch, the 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 continuous uh the constant in this match was AD Franch. She continued just save after save uh was incredible for Kansas City. And you see why she was such a big impact on some of those Portland teams that won NWSL titles and was great for so long. Um, there were so many of them. Jordan Heidema had a header in the first half that you thought could have been a goal, but was kind of right at French. It's tough because I mentioned these really opportune chances, uh, but then a bunch of them were consequentially right at French uh, in goal, and that doesn't help either. So at the, the second half part of it was also tough because, again, it felt like the rain were knocking on the door. It felt like an earlier part of the season where the rain just – had a bunch of chances, but they couldn't convert. Um, and there were matches very similar like this where you would have that chances part of it and you'd give up a few goals that normally wouldn't be given up. The goals that the rain gave up in this one nine times out of ten, I bet you don't happen. You know, the rain have been really solid defensively throughout the year and they just weren't uh, to begin this game for that first goal. And the second one was just a poor clearance. Um, so, yeah, this is a really tough one to stomach. But at the end of the day, I imagine you see most of this club return. You know, Fallon's locked up for a few years. Um, excuse me, Lou Barnes is a free agent, but I don't expect her to go anywhere at this stage of her career. Uh, Sam Hyatt and Alana Cook, you've got two great center backs there. Sophia Huerta, incredible on the outside. You know, in the midfield, Jess Fishlock, the tiny dragon. Uh, Rose Lavelle, incredible. Uh, Rose in this one seemed a little bit more hesitant to shoot, which is tough because she was one of the top five in the NWSL in shots this year, and he would have liked to see some of that. Um, Olivia Vanderyat as a rookie, great impact, and I'm sure will only get better in the with the influence of that midfield. Uh, we look at the attack in Megan Rapino, Bethany Balser, uh, Jordan Heidema. You can't ask for much more than that. And then, and then these this are some of, only some of the roster. And, you know, you lost Angelina, Tobin Heath, Sinclair Miramontes, all to season-ending injuries. Who knows what Tobin Heath could have done with more time with this club. Angelina just continuing to see her influence in the midfield. So, I mean, that's most of your injury report against the current. Nobody else was on the injury report outside of those that were normally out with their season-ending injuries. Angelina, Tobin Heath, uh, Sinclair Miramontes, Jody Elkolo, um, but this is a really tough one to stomach, and this one will sting. You know, you, you look at the last real four seasons for the rain here, all of them have ended in the playoffs in the semifinal round. It's it's just, you know, when are you going to be able to get over that hump? So 
And unfortunately, you know, I know it wasn't the final round in this one, and it wasn't the NBA title, but three times in the playoffs, Kansas City has eliminated you. The first two times you reached the NBA title, obviously there were also two different franchises, but those two times and then this one. So it's uh, it's a really tough one. Uh, we'll have an article on it later today. Uh, I wasn't able to get that this morning just because of time constraints. But yeah, this was a tough loss to stomach and just was was pretty difficult. And we'll have a season in review for you next week. Um, in terms of team-related news, there is one positive here. Uh, the Reign announced on the 20th that they will begin training at Starfire in 2023. They've signed a multi-year agreement with Starfire Sports, and the facility will serve as the club's training site beginning in February. Um, it's a great move. You know, I know that the Reign have been practicing at a uh, high school prior to this, and so to get this Starfire that already hope where the Seawolves play, where the Sounders were playing, and will until their uh, primary facility is built just across the way. This is big to give them their own proper facility instead of on a high school field down in Tacoma. Now you're playing, you're practicing up where your actual games take place and it's just a better facility all in all. So there's a positive in that. Um, and it, it was a great rain season. We'll go over it next year. Just it's, it's tough. It's really tough. I feel for the players. I really do. I texted a few of them that I know I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm really proud of you for what you're able to accomplish. Great to see the third highest crowd in NWSL playoff history turn out for this match. The easily the highest rain attendance for a playoff match ever. Um, and I think just the standalone record in general. So great. It was a great, great all except for the result. So um, we look at league rated news here as we wrap up rain October 17th. The San Diego Wave set the attendance mark for NWSL playoff game with 26,215 fans. And then on October 18th, FIFA is tracking the NWSL investigations. Uh, the chief women's football officer, Sarah Behrman, says that FIFA is keeping a very close eye on the Yeats report ahead of the 2023 World Cup. So looking ahead for the rain, we're going to have the season re- review for you next week, and we'll really dive into this past year, just like we did with the Mariners and Sounders today. So, We'll wrap up here with the star of the week. And it was really hard to not again go with Ken Walker. So I went with Ken Walker. Uh, The rookie running back became the first of his uh, first rookie running back with two 65 plus yard touchdown runs since Saquon Barkley back in 2018. So a fun matchup next year between next week between those two. And he became only the second rookie to hit 150 yards rushing and two touchdowns in a single game joining former Seahawk Kurt Warner. Kurt spelled with a C. Uh, I can't say much more about Walker. I mean, he continues to impress game in and game out, and he's only going to get better. So just, uh, yes, with that being said, it's been a long one. We had to go through our Mariners uh, season review, our Sounders season review. Uh, The Seahawks continue to do well. I don't know how long that will last. Um, We had some tiny storm stuff. Uh, The rain season ended, unfortunately. The Kraken season in full swing. So it's going to be weird with only two of our seven teams playing, but We'll have to deal with it until we see you next week. Um, enjoy all our friends that are at the Paramount with Converge Media. All of the coverage is going to be going on up there. Uh, thank you for people behind the camera. I had Curtis here too long. We're going to get Curtis out of here uh, when we wrap this up. But do whatever you can to make today a great day.
Baba Bowie. 